0: Okay, the second reading is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach cross, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what will I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, but which is uh, better by far. But it is more necessary for you, that I remain in the body. Convinced of it. this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boast, boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence,
1: I will know that
0: you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have, may your word live in us.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. everyone. Why don't we try that again? Good morning, everyone. It's much better when uh, sound works, isn't it? Well, I should say, I hope it's better when sound works. Better for you. Well, do you notice that there's someone missing in action today? Uh, the senior minister our rector is off he's away Uh, but please be praying because uh, as we worship here our brothers and sisters in Christ at Perigian are worshipping together today for the first time since March isn't that fantastic Chris is going to be focusing a lot of his energy at Perigian so you guys will be stuck with a bit more of me sorry about that Let's get stuck into this topic today. It's uh, an interesting one we've got, the gospel call to proclamation. The gospel call to proclamation. I want to take you back uh, and think about how Jesus finished his earthly ministry with his disciples. I know there are a few things that happened, uh, but can you remember one? Pretty big one. The Great Commission. Uh, Where he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That was the way he left his disciples with a task to do. And speaking about our faith, as people who belong to Jesus, speaking about our faith is one of the basic principles of the Christian life. Do you agree? It's one of the basic principles, sharing who we are and sharing what we believe. If we keep quiet about our Christian faith, do we actually have one? If we keep quiet about our Christian faith, do we actually have one? The gospel call to proclamation is real. Now, I also want to remind you of what Paul's prayer was for the Philippians, uh, the way we concluded last week. I hope you've even been praying this prayer this week for people. Do you remember it? That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be more able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, why am I reminding you of that? Well, it's pretty good. I probably should remind you of it every week. But the reason I'm specifically reminding you of it now is because it seems pretty clear to me that prayer was answered in Paul's life just as he was praying for the Philippians and through the answering of that prayer in his life God was being proclaimed the gospel was being proclaimed because here's what he's saying today now i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel I am in chains for Christ. And the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Isn't that encouraging? When he'd just been praying that people would abound more and more in knowledge and love of God to the praise of the Lord. It has become so obvious to Paul that his circumstances, as bad as they might be, and he is in chains after all, but his circumstances are providing opportunities for others to grow, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So he's saying, bring it on, whatever it takes. If it means that there's more opportunity for me and others to glorify God and proclaim him, then let's have it. Let's have it. Paul wants the gospel proclaimed Whatever are the circumstances. Whatever. He knows that his case is going to come to court soon and he shares the details of his circumstances. He tells the Philippians that he's in prison because of his faith in Christ. And he says, but it's working out just fine, thanks. Because people are getting bolder in talking about Jesus. People are getting bolder in talking about Jesus and that makes Paul rejoice. It's just fine. Thanks. He's not focusing on the reality of his circumstances. He's focusing on the advancing of the gospel. And he's rejoicing while he's in prison because he's seen the gospel preached. He can see that even though he's in chains, guess what? The gospel isn't. He's in chains, but the gospel isn't. Adversity can advance the gospel. Adversity can advance the gospel. So, is Paul one of those insufferable people who love to suffer? Do you think? Is he one of those people who is always optimistic, even in terrible circumstances? You know the type. a realist. His imprisonment was real. The chains were rattling around him, weren't they? We know that because he mentions them three times in this section, verses 13, 14, and 17. My chains, my chains, my chains. There's no way he can forget he's in chains. The real difference between Paul and most of us is his focus. Which is always on the advancement of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. Two things have resulted from his imprisonment. Firstly, the elite guard, uh, which were the people chained to him day and night, they are hearing the gospel. Can you imagine the conversations? Just think about it. Why are you here? What? For a crucified Jewish Messiah, really? Why? And Paul would have told them. And we'll notice at the end of the letter that some from Caesar's own household join him in sending greetings to the Philippians. How about that? So Paul can most certainly rejoice that the gospel is being proclaimed because he's in prison. But it's also impacted others. Many believers have begun to preach the gospel with more courage and less fear. Some have even done it with wrong motives, but Paul's response is, so what? No matter. Jesus is being preached. Even if they're doing it to stir up more trouble for me, let the trouble come. Because at least Christ is being preached, he's saying. He looks past those misplaced motives and responds with grace. His passion for the spread of the gospel is such an example, isn't it? It's an example to me. As I look around the world today and see the places where the church is growing, where people are being converted, it's growing where Christians are persecuted. Not in the West, I might say. What's happening in the West? We are in decline. We are in decline. In the last few years, I've actually been praying that God might give the Aussie church the privilege of some struggle, the privilege of some backlash, even some outright persecution. I've been praying that. If that's what it's going to take to get us off our backsides and actually living lives that bring glory to God and having an impact for the kingdom, then let's have some persecution. I think for way too long the Australian church has been complacent, is complacent, even, dare I say it, apathetic. In fact, I'm going to boldly say that in some places the Australian church is not just apathetic, it's pathetic. And do you think that we are receiving a little bit of backlash at the moment, a little bit of persecution, maybe a bit? Here are a few things that have happened over the last several years, and I'm sure there'll be others, but see if you uh, resonate with these. Do you remember a few years ago the high court challenge to chaplaincy in schools yeah. from that guy to woman. Yeah. There's the general rise of atheism and the subtle outing of the Christian opinion. Public debate over gay marriage wasn't a happy time, was it? In all these areas, there's been a growing disdain for the church. It's interesting stuff. But I actually think it's good. And I actually believe that it puts us in the place where the church should be, on the edge. What happened to Paul advanced the gospel... And its influence. What will happen for us, I wonder? Will we take advantage of being on the edge and help people to see clearly what is truth? What Jesus has done. Will it embolden us to speak out? Will this little bit of public disdain cause us to respond with a growing conviction about the gospel and its power? Or will we go into retreat and just shut up because it's too hard? Well, let's see what Paul's response was to this public disdain. Here's some beautiful, personal, reflective conversation that he had with himself shared in this letter. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You feel the struggle within him, don't you? You feel it. He agonised over it. I have no doubt that it would have been very easy to just curl up and die in the corner of a prison. The degradation, the filth, the pain must have been incredible. Incredible. And he knew that if he died, he would see Jesus. What true Christian doesn't want that? And yet he also knew that on earth he had a calling, a purpose, a reason, a vision of what God could do. What an amazing spiritual tug-of-war Paul was having. And here we are 2,000 years later hearing it and engaging in it. Most of us, if given the option of life or death, choose love. not This was the choice Paul was facing at this point in his life. We hear his inner struggle. <clears throat> Gordon Fee, who is Professor Emeritus of New Testament at Regent College in Vancouver, says this. Many hear these words, to live is Christ and to die is gain, as idealistic or unrealistic. The real world requires such busyness of us that constant devotion to Christ like this seems an impossible dream. And to die is gain, is sometimes turned into just a desire to go to heaven. But all that misses the point. These words are a kind of soliloquy on the two possible outcomes of Paul's imprisonment. Life, or death. And for Paul, that turns out to be a win-win situation. Great quote from Gordon Fee. Paul goes back and forth between those two alternatives, doesn't he? With reasoning and with clarity. He was under house arrest, awaiting trial before Caesar. Now, if he refused to defend himself in court, that would mean automatic death. Lots of people did it that way, including Socrates, I believe. You'll remember that Jesus, too, refused to answer the charges against Herod and Pilate. There is definite inner turmoil, but in the end, Paul opts for living for the simple reason that it's all about other people, not about him. And because of his conviction about that, he's going to stick around so he can minister to those who need the gospel. He chose life, not because he was afraid of death, but because the Philippian Christians needed him. And he wanted to make one more visit to them for their encouragement. But he also knew that his Lord, the Lord Jesus, was his Lord of life, who had declared himself to be the resurrection and the life. And he came to give life in all its fullness. Paul knew that this life is worth the living. For the sake of the gospel, Paul chose life. I will proclaim the gospel in life, he says. But equally, I will proclaim the gospel in death. When it comes, says Paul, I will proclaim the gospel in death. At the moment, I'm alive, so I'm choosing to proclaim the gospel in life. What an incredible thing to be able to say that with the conviction that Paul had. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. I wonder what the church might be like if we were actually people of this kind of singular passion. Too often today, I think it might be more like this. For me to live is Christ, plus the new television, plus the recreation, plus the leisure, plus the holidays, uh, plus work, plus, 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 And all too often, the plus wins out, doesn't it? Well, let's get on to our last little section. Paul now refocuses on the readers of his letter and he pleads with the Philippians to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Live a life that is worthy. Verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that an interesting way to start that verse? Whatever happens. whatever ha- Two very small little words. You could just gloss over them. Don't. Whatever happens. So is he saying live a life worthy of the gospel when you remember to? Is he saying, live a life worthy of the gospel when you're on show? Is he saying, live a life worthy of the gospel when you're at church? Other versions like uh, the NRSV and the ESV translate the beginning of that word using the word only. In other words, be of singular mind, only only. Live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens, only be like this. And look at the strong language he uses in verse 27 and 28. Stand firm, strive together, don't be frightened. Stand firm, strive together, don't be frightened. Why is that important? Because that's going to show to others that you are saved by God. It's going to show God's power to the world. In other words, Paul is saying, this is part of your witness. This is part of your suffering for Jesus. This is part of your suffering with Jesus. But it's also about a church being unified. Stand firm, striving together. Do you see that? It's about the church This is about a church that has one goal, one vision, is looking in the same direction and is moving towards the goal. United witness, powerful witness. In all things, whatever happens, only live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And being worthy of the gospel is about what? It's about understanding the full extent of the death of Christ and what he's done for us. The gospel is the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of grace, undeserved favour. We receive the free gift of forgiveness, new life, eternal life, only because Jesus took the consequences of our sin in his body on the cross. Nothing we could do could achieve what Jesus achieved. Nothing. So we live our life now out of gratitude for the cross. And we live our life to proclaim the cross. Paul says to the Philippians, and he says to us, whatever happens, only... Live a life worthy of the gospel. My friends, do it through your circumstances. Do it in life or death, in life and death. And do it worthily, knowing the supreme cost that it has. Amen.